Hello, everybody, and welcome to Feeling Seen, the podcast that talks about the movies that make us feel seen. Uh, my co-host for today is a, a professional, a performer, an actress, a writer, a producer with a decades-long career behind her. You might know her voice from programs such as Star Wars The Clone Wars. You might know her whole physical self for movies such as Lake Placid or Dream a Little Dream. We're, we're going gener- multiple generational touch points here, people. Multiple generational touch points and now a podcaster. On the podcast, she does with her husband, who you also might have heard of, Pat Oswalt. Did you get my text? Is the podcast. Meredith Salinger, you are my co-host today. Is there anything I missed that you would like to highlight before we get started today? No, I, I you got it. I mean, it's so funny when people are like, and podcaster. I think that's so hilarious. Like, that's an addition to, like, what you do. I, I, I never <laughs> thought that would be something that I would be, like, labeled as. Uh-huh. Um, but the other day I saw an article and it was like, Meredith Salinger, actress, podcaster. I was like, what? Like, no, just actress who has a podcast. <laughs> like, okay, really- so no, that was actually something I wanted to ask you very specifically about. Because obviously you've had a, a long career at this point, And then now there's this thing that gets tacked onto it. That's, it's a part of your marriage. It's a part of your life. It's, it's yeah. now a part of your professional resume. But how totally. is that, is that like, weird? accruing so many years of like experience and professional expertise and like honing your craft and then it's suddenly like and you're a podcaster because it's the 2020s like what is that like just showing up that's so weird I started acting when I was 10 years old um so like 1980 I was in the movie Annie and then Mm -hmm. 84 I did the journey of Natty Gann and Mm -hmm. yeah you said uh what dream a little dream that's 88 and then Mm -hmm. I went you know there's all these like different decades and different kind of eras of your life like different incarnations of who you are and um when the pandemic hit and all of our shows got uh canceled or put on Mm -hmm. hiatus or like all of Patton's stand-up shows his whole tour got canceled like every weekend he had a show in a different city and that whole tour got canceled and mm-hmm. it was just like, oh God, what are we going to do? Like, what what are we going to do? <laughs> oh, God. And I, I'm like, we should do a podcast. And he's like, no, nah, we'll see, we'll see. We'll. And because, um, you know, if it's my idea, he poo-poos it until a year <laughs> later, literally like the pan, now the vaccine has arrived and everybody's starting to get back out in the world. And he's like, you know, we should do a podcast. And I'm like, motherfucker, I- wait, are we allowed to curse on your podcast? You can. You motherfucker, I said this to you a year ago. <laughs> I hope you keep a running tally of like the receipts, you know, you should have on hand for like, well, that one's going to come back around in a few months when it's his idea. I, I oh, I do. I have so many, like everything I'm like, we should, you know what be great if you played this role and then like cut to six months later i would love to play this role so <laughs> anyway you are you are the bene Gesserit pulling the strings of time behind yeah, the just, scenes and it's just so funny it's so funny being married to like it's just men <laughs> i don't even know what to say period it's period. just men well new friend meredith salinger what is the character that you uh experienced you know perhaps at a formative age could have been later on in life though that you felt was very representative of you and you felt like really resonated and like wow i'm really connecting with this character and like i I'm, I'm feel like i'm seeing a lot of me on this screen right now okay love it best question ever and <laughs> it all began in 1979 <laughs> <laughs> um i saw the movie norma ray Mm, okay. And Sally Field in Norma Ray plays Norma Ray, mm-hmm. um, a single mom, and she's working in a factory. And there are union people who come to organize the factory workers to form a union. And she's just like a regular mom who's like, 
you know what? This is right. We need to do this. Yeah. And she's like not just standing up for herself and her, the people she works with, but for the community and realizing how important it is. So she helps unionize her workers and she gets flack from the people above her and she gets flack from her ex-husband. And she's a woman who's like finding her voice and standing up for herself and not backing down in the face mm. of the male <laughs> patriarchy um, yes, who's like yes. giving her shit for trying to be smart and her own woman and make things better for everyone. And um, I feel very attuned to that kind of personality, like a mm-hmm. little fighter, not to mention the fact that I've always thought Sally Field looks like me. I mean, I always felt like I look like her. Okay. And so I actually do see myself in her. I feel like we have a very similar personality type. And the whole reason I even wanted to be an actress was because I saw the movie Smokey and the Bandit when I was little. And I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to be her. I want to do that. That's my person. Like, she's like frog. She's, she's, frog. She, she's just, you want to stretch cute, your legs, frog? She's, yeah, she's just like this cute runaway bride who hops in uh, Burt Reynolds' Trans Am. Is it a Trans Am? I think that's what it is. It is a Trans Am. It's a black Trans Am. And uh, she's just cute and like, you know what? I don't want to be married. I want to start my own life. I want to be my own person. And, mm-hmm. and every role that she's played is this kind of, I am my own person. Don't tell me what to do. I have a loud mouth. I'm sticking up for myself. And I got to mm-hmm. be honest, that's who I am. I'm a loud mouth. <laughs> and I, I really do stand up for people. And I really do care about what's right. And I really am like very politically active. Of course, that stuff didn't start till later in life. But sure, I was sure. quite the loud mouth, don't mess with me kid when I was little. Mm-hmm. I was so glad watching watching Smokey and the Bandit again for this. I was so glad was that you had presented Sally Field and and you know this character specifically, but also Sally Field generally. And it was one of the I went on a I went on a deep dive a couple years ago because I wrote a piece about Goldie Hawn and like sort of like top ten like this is how you should like approach Goldie Hawn's filmography. And watching it, I was like watching all these in a run. I'm like, why? How are we not talking about Goldie Hawn and her range and her dynamic I presence mean, all the time, even I love now? Her so much. And I was getting the same thing from Sally Field when I was like, "Why are we not talking? Wait, guys, why don't we talk about Sally Field regularly and this yeah. incredible filmography of just the di- the the comedic timing, the dramatic gravitas, the weight, the range? I mean, it was I I wanted to lead a Sally Field renaissance. You're just getting done watching Smokey and the Goddamn Bandit. It's the again. Be- it's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's the reason why I'm an actress. Um uh yeah. And then of course, you know, I mean, I could there's so many roles. I mean, there's like Urban sure. Cowboy, Deborah Winger in Urban Cowboy, mm-hmm. and Shirley MacLaine in everything. <laughs> <laughs> and Shirley MacLaine, period. Shirley MacLaine, period. Um, <laughs> it's just, there's something about really strong, feisty women who are super cute, but so also cute. hardcore. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I, well, okay, so that was, because famously, super cute. You. Famously, uh-huh. hottie. Like, you know, not to be a dick about it. I don't want to, like, reduce things, but, like, Getting into acting at such a young age and then seeing a representative character like, you know, Sally Field, Carrie Frog in Smokey and the Bandit. Totally. Did, was that kind of, that awareness of like, 
you know, embracing a femininity and a cuteness and, and feeling like that was something that was like, I like this. I celebrate this. This feels true to me. Did that feel like it stood in opposition to when you were pursuing roles that you wanted to have more added to that attitude to them, that you wanted to have more of that like Sally Field standing in your convictions? Did you feel like you were able to pursue both of roles with both of those things at the same time? Or did you feel like you had to choose? No, I feel like, well, first of all, I got super lucky. I started acting mm. very young when I was eight years old. And the first role I got was in the movie Annie that John Huston directed with Carol Burnett and Albert Finney and uh, Bernadette Peters and, you know, that whole amazing God, cast. what a and lineup. That is the, <laughs> the greatest ever. And then um, The Journey of Natty Gann, the role that I played with Natty Gann, the titular role, just like Norma Ray and Norma Ray. And I have to say is, I don't know if it's a manipulation or an awareness of your who you are and what your powers are. Mm-hmm. But um, I recently started writing and producing. I sold two shows uh, a couple years ago. And they're in development. Congratulations on that. Um, thank you. But it's interesting because I was on a call with uh, the studio for one of the... I'm doing an animated show. And I wrote it with my writing partner. And we're both mm-hmm. producers on it. And, we're, and I'm set to star in it as well. But we were on this call. And the studio was showing us different artwork and stuff like that for our thing. And we were having this big meeting and they're like uh, showing us stuff. And and one of the producers at the studio was like, listen, if we're showing you anything that you don't like, you know, feel free to tell us no. Mm-hmm. And then my writing partner said, and if there's anything we've written that you guys aren't on board with or you want switched in any way, you know, just tell us no. And mm-hmm. then I said, and if there's anything I've written or said um, you guys have to say yes because it's my project. And da, 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 da. and and there was yes! and I have to say that it was sort of like I was doing it in a very cheeky, funny, cute kind of way. Sure. But there was a power behind it that they were like, absolutely, like no, a hundred percent. Like they, mm-hmm. they all laughed. Yeah, because yeah. I was like, and if there's anything you guys don't like that I say, you have to say yeah. yes. Like I was trying yeah. to be adorable <laughs> about it. Yes, yes. But I was also a hundred percent serious about it. And I think as a woman. I don't know, maybe other strong women will be like, well, that's a cop out. Don't be like cutesy cutesy to say what you need. Don't don't be that girl. But that's who I actually am. Exactly. Yeah. And so the way I approach things is probably different than like a really important businesswoman because they're just like a real businesswoman and they have to be super (laughs) professional all the time. But I come from a background of being an actress. Yeah. And so there is this sort of like silly, flirty, Mm -hmm. cheeky kind of aspect to my personality that. I'm not going to hide when I'm being my professional self also. Like, it's part of who I am. And so the roles that I've played, I think, sort of incorporate both of them. Because I'm not one to be messed with, for sure. This is just an aside. Like, um, my husband tells this funny, hilarious bit that actually happened at our house, a true story. We were all home, my, my daughter, Alice, and myself and my husband, we were home. And, um, the doorbell rings and I kind of look at our security cameras to see who's at the doorbell and no one's there. And then about a minute late, uh, like 30 seconds later, Alice is like, mom, there's a weird man in our backyard. And I was like, okay. what? Yeah. And she's like, there's a dude in our backyard. And I kind of like tried to look at the security cameras in the backyard. And I saw this kind of lanky, weird dude slowly walking through our backyard. And, um, I, gra- I have a pink baseball bat, <laughs> like this, like, Great. Loot, like, and I grabbed the baseball bat and I ran downstairs and I said to Pat and Alice, you guys stay here, lock the door. <laughs> and I ran outside <laughs> and I'm like, yes. I'm like, who the fuck are you? Get the fuck out of my house. What are you? Like, I'm <laughs> screaming at this guy. Yeah. And um, just with like anger and viciousness. And 
And then Patton finally comes out and he's behind me and he tells the joke like the guy was like thrown off and scared. But as soon as Patton came behind me, he got even Mm -hmm. more scared, not because a man showed up, but because Mm -hmm. he's behind me being like, dude, I don't know how to I don't know how to stop her when she's like this. (laughs) Like, I don't know what to do. I would leave if I were you. I would leave when she gets like this. You don't know what she's going to (laughs) do. Um, and he tells this joke because I'm like in a long flowing dress. Like he's like, I had Manson girl energy coming off of me. For the, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, everyone handles their business in their way. And there's mm-hmm. a fierceness to me that I mm-hmm. that I find somehow in moments of uh, stress and stuff like mm-hmm. that. I, that the, there's this a fierceness that washes over me that somehow... I don't know what it is, but then, you know, there's that silly little, like, pixie little girl that I yeah. am at the same time, and it's sort of all, all of it goes to all the roles I play. I mean, I can obviously hide some of those things for different <laughs> things, but, um, yeah, I haven't had to choose between the two. Whatever the role is, it's sort of... That's great. I can, yeah. I like the really strong, fierce roles and the protective mm-hmm. character roles and standing up for other people, because I do that in my regular life, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I like that. I like the strong lady. Did you find, did you come into that power of being able to utilize that sort of cloaked ferocity at a young age in your career? Or was that something that you found you grew into over time? Because that is, ab- that's pure Sally Field, man. Right, that's, that's I remember what it when is. I saw Sally Field in Forrest Gump and that character, like I, the, the, all the things going on with the mother in Forrest Gump and that character throughout the entire movie and like the incredible protectiveness that she has over her baby over Forrest with the sort of like, you know, genteel Southern mother that she is and kind of like a silly character at times. Like that is Sally Field to her core. And does that something that you like learned over time or did you have a kind of intrinsic sense of of bringing that to the fore your whole life? Uh, first of all, I love that phrase, and I'm, I just wrote it down, cloaked ferocity. I, I just I, think that's fabulous. I've never I love that. a sneaky bad bitch, <laughs> so that's incredible. Um, I love it. I don't know. I, it's just part of my personality. It certainly gets okay. me in trouble occasionally. Like, I was definitely a loudmouth <laughs> kid. I would talk back and all those things. I mean, I have amazing parents, and I'm a very respectful person. But if I felt injustice in any way, I'm not going to shrink from it. I will stand up <laughs> to it. So it's just part of me, I suppose. When I That is... I think, you know, Smokey and the Bandit, there's the, that run of Burt Reynolds classics, like swaggering 70s Hooper, this movie, obviously the sequel, Smokey 2, where it really cemented the sort of like mythology of Burt Reynolds around him. And what I couldn't get over when I'm watching this movie and knowing that I'm really drilling down on the character of Carrie, she is toe to toe with this guy the oh, entire totally. time. I was like, there is not more swagger coming off of Burt Reynolds than there is coming off of Sally Field in this movie. And he is so charmed by her. And he is like looking at her like, what is this creature that just got Mm -hmm. in my car? Like, what is this cute, feisty thing? Um, And by the way, Burt Reynolds, his smile and his laugh, the genuine, like his giggle. And when you watch him (laughs) smile, when you watch him laugh, and enjoy someone else. There's no smile or laugh more charming than Burt Reynolds. <laughs> he he is so just like adorably charming and sexy. And God, I loved Burt Reynolds so much. I have to believe that if you're looking at that being like, that's why I want to be an actress. I have to believe at least a little part of that is like, I'm going to be in a Trans Am with Burt Reynolds. <laughs> 
You've got a great profile. Yeah, I do, don't I? Especially from your side. Well, at least we finally agree on something. Yeah. We both like half my face. You never, there's this something about the 70s that is so authentically wonderful to me. So mm-hmm. most of my favorite movies are from that era, like mm-hmm. 70s, early 80s. That's my jam. That era is my favorite film making thing. Mm-hmm. I love every actor during that time. All the filmmaking, Charles Grodin, Robert De Niro. The Muppet movie, for Christ's sakes, is my other favorite movie. <laughs> the Muppet movie is like verite when you when you watch that now. It's like, wow. I the audacity to pull off any of this, my God. The I, imagination and the audacity and the ability to make it happen. Yeah, and it's so good. Uh there's just something about that time that and also when I saw Norma Ray, like yeah, Sally Field and I look alike. My mom looks like Sally Field. And my mom, this was the 70s. This came out in 79, so this is like 78. My mom would dress exactly like her, like the same top, everything. So it just felt very natural and home to me. Mm-hmm. So just, yeah, Sally Field, Smoking the Bandit, Norma Ray. It's like, I that's just me. If that was my era, that would have been me. I just feel like it just identify with it so deeply. Where are we going? No, don't tell me. Let me guess. We are a bride in search of a wedding. No. No? There there is a wedding in search of a bride. Let me put it another way. Think of it as a wedding posse in search of a bride. Do you understand that, cowboy? Yeah. I think one of my favorite things about this movie is how as soon as she shows up in that car, it's not... It's not staging a romance between the two characters they just are like they've ended up in each other's circumstances and it really feels like you're not even necessarily sure if she's gonna stay in that car to the very end you want her to because you want her in the whole movie but it really does feel like at a certain point it's like somebody threw the script out the window and those two are just so charming together that the the conclusion of them kind of pairing off becomes an inevitability because they just become so damned enchanted with one another by virtue of them just being themselves like Carrie doesn't feel like she's putting on for the bandit at any time she is just being relentlessly herself throughout the entire movie and it's charming it's so charming and the banter is so good I was like nobody could have written this this feels too impulsive and in the moment this just feels like two characters clicking so hard they knew exactly what to say to one another it yeah. is actually phenomenal character I, I love this it's character. really truly one of my favorite movies I, I just can't get enough of it I cannot I, j- I could watch that movie a billion times and never get sick of it it really feels too like what I was what I was really marinating in when it was happening was just the elegance of execution of it where it's like it couldn't be simpler. It is truly like it is the bandit and the snowman. Oh god. And, and Jerry Reed, come on. Reed. Come back. <laughs> Incredible. And and his dog, his basset hound, Cletus. it is Cletus. Cletus. <laughs> Yes, Cletus and the Snowman. It is they are just making a run. They are bombing from one location to another. They've got 14 hours to make a run to get booze, to get beer across the border back into Texas where they're not supposed to. It is the simplest premise ever. And it's just the elegance and the execution and the perfection in the execution is what makes this like this Burt Reynolds classic, this Sally Field classic. Yeah. And it was like a real testament to like, you know what? If you got a good idea, it doesn't need to be complicated. You just need to do it exactly right. Right. And you need to have the people who have the chemistry because the chemistry amongst the three of them, Jerry, and even Jackie Gleason, my God, um, (laughs) as the sheriff 
Buford T. Justice. Um, <laughs> it, it's really one of my, I just, I love it so much. But I love her so much. And I just need to do a mother-daughter dinner with her. A mother-daughter uh, movie with her. I need to be in a movie <laughs> with her. I feel like it has to happen. Well, I'm watching and watching her in in Smokey and the Bandit. She like I was looking at the sort of like the timeline. It's like okay, this is ten years after the Flying Nun. This is twenty years after Gidget. I mean, and now we have her as a a runaway bride. Yeah, who like she meets Burt Reynolds, literally like jumping into his car, throwing off a wedding dress, being like, I thought he was a right idea, but then I realized this was crazy, and I don't want to get married to him. And the first thing Burt Reynolds, like, one of the first things he said to her is like, like I'm not looking for a marriage, and she's like, Great, neither am I. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I don't want to get married. Terrific. That makes two of us. And she's just like it's flirtation by virtue of them just being so clever with one another, but it doesn't ever feel anything near the realm of forced. And then we have her as like the instigator of intimacy between the two of them. You have like sexual magnetism radiating off the screen from Burt Reynolds, but you have the two of them like he's ostensibly not trying to cross the line on the other side of the seat the entire movie until she's like. He's like, I only take off my hat for one thing. And she's like, take off that hat if you I want know, to. I know, I know, I know. Don't you ever take that Bandit, hat off for anything? Sure. I take it off for one thing. And one thing only. Oh. Take your hat off. If you want to. Call you the bandit. They call you I want to. the bandit. <laughs> it's so romantic. This is this character is sneakily like I'm I'm watching this again and now I want to go tell everybody about how good Sally Field is in Smokey. Mm-hmm. Like, hey you guys, this movie came out in 1977. You heard of Smokey and the Bandit? You guys know how good Sally Field is in Smokey and the Bandit? Oh, she's so good. She's so good. Did it feel like, like you said, like you're you're a big fan of movies that that came out in the seventies? You 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 enjoy sort of like the attitude, the tone, the sort of specificity. It seems like of humanity. Then, did you feel like the character that she's playing in this was that of a piece of other heroines you were seeing at the time that you felt like were really special to you, or felt like kind of like aspirational or resonant, or did you feel like she was something unique even compared to what you were enjoying in that era of? of of movies when you're watching them when you're well, a little kid. honestly, I mean, I think that was sort of the movies that I'm drawn to. I mean, even Star Wars, you've got Princess Leia, and she sure. is the same way. She's got this yeah. cheeky attitude. She's cute, but she's fierce, and she's a she's a self rescuing princess. There's none of yeah, you know. There's no the movies that I like those. You know, I I understand why so many women talk about representation, um, mm. whether it's of color or race or or whatever. But like um, sexuality, whatever. When you see someone that you resonate with, like it fills your soul. Like you 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 see yourself in them, and you feel more empowered to be the way you are if you mm-hmm. like that quality. I mean, if you see mm-hmm. a quality you don't like, I imagine you'd be like, oh fuck, I should probably change that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that ain't close to home. I'm like, oh sh- hmm. Yeah, but um, no, all the movies I I saw, but I think Norma Ray was the first mm-hmm. um, more serious film that, mm. I mean, then, you know, there's movies like Mask where uh, Cher, uh, Cher mm-hmm. and her passion for her son and the acceptance that she has for him in that movie. And, you know, I watch her just being tough like that and 
uh, being a biker, you know, from a biker family and that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um, I mean, all the roles of all these women at that time were the ones that spoke to me the most. It's time for a quick break, but when we come back, we'll have more with Meredith Salinger. Plus, I will have one quick thing before we go about the movie on the tip of everyone's tongue, Back to the Beach, starring Frankie Avalon and Annette Funicello. Um, hi, I'm looking for a movie. Oh, I gotcha. Uh, there's that new foreign film with the time travel. There's an amazing documentary about queer history on streaming. Have I told you about this classic where giant robots fight? Or there's that one that most critics hated, but I thought was actually pretty good. Ooh, I know. The one with the huge car chase, and then there's that scene where... The, the car, car jumps, jumps over, over the submarine. submarine. Wow, who are you eclectic movie experts? Well, I'm Ify Wadiwe. I'm Drea Clark. And I'm Alonzo Duraldi. And together, we host the movie podcast, Maximum film new episodes every week on maximumfun.org and you actually just walked into our recording booth oh weird sorry i thought this was a video store you seem like a lady with a lot of problems video games video games video games you like them maybe you wish you had more time for them maybe you want to know the best ones to play maybe you want to know what happens to mario when he dies (laughs) in that case you should check out triple click It's a podcast about video games. A podcast about video games? But I don't have time for that. Sure you do. Once a week, Kickback as three video game experts give you everything from critical takes on the hottest new releases to scoops, interviews, and explanations about how video games work to fascinating and sometimes weird stories about the games we love. Triple Click is hosted by me, Kirk Hamilton. Me, Jason Shire. And me, Maddie Myers. You can find Triple Click wherever you get your podcasts and listen at MaximumFun.org. Bye! Welcome back to Feeling Seen. Today, my co-host is primarily an actor, but in recent years, she's also taken on the role of producer and writer. And yes, we are colleagues because she's also a podcaster. I'm back with Meredith Salinger, where we have been talking about Sally Field in Smokey and the Bandit, along with a whole catalog of strong and determined women from the films of the late 1970s and early 1980s. So let's get right back into it with you obviously observing and appreciating these these performances, these roles, but then you stepping into your own career, mm-hmm. becoming a part of this like peer group of actresses and and obviously having a career that's that's lasted a long time now. These roles being so impactful around like, you know, that coterie of of icons we have talked about so far. It's interesting like there's such an there's an adventurousness and a sort of like lawlessness and freedom to the the spirit of cinema in the 70s. Yes, and I think exactly. In, in the 90s as well, we have this kind of incredibly, and I've, I've mentioned even on, on this podcast before, listeners will be like, stop talking about this, but sort of a freedom in queer cinema to be inventive and explosive with like the the NQC, uh, the new queer cinema movement. And mm-hmm. black cinema was really having a, a mm-hmm. renaissance in that era. And, and independent cinema was thriving. It was sort of like the Sundance Film Festival taking hold and there actually being an independent cinema market. Do you feel now as a performer, as we've seen sort of these waves of undulating waves of, 
autonomy and freedom of independent spirit and then going into sort of like homogenization and sort of plasticization of things like we see a lot in the 2000s. Uh-huh. Do, where do you feel like we are now in sort of that undulation of like rebellion versus assimilation in terms of like what's available for you well, as, listen, as an actor? That's such an, a fabulous question, but also observation. Like, you know, Chloe Zhao, who directed Nomadland with mm-hmm. Frances McDormand, you know, I look at things like that, and uh, she she directed a film called The Rider, which was also mm. incredible. Um, yeah. But that kind of film, even Sean Baker, who did The Florida Project, yeah. um, there's all these films that, and, you know, Willem Dafoe was in that and, and brought really brought him back to, like, the core of humanity for something that he starred in on that. Mm-hmm. It, it made you re-fall in love with Willem Dafoe. I mean, he's mm-hmm. he's great in everything, but there's something everything. so small in that movie that it's just so um, true and personal. I love seeing films like that. Like, even, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, there's some odd films, too. Like, you know, Boots Riley did a movie called Sorry to Bother You. Absolutely. And, you know, that's also about uni- unionizing and mm-hmm. standing up for the workers. And um, there's so many good movies. When you look at... When you look at... The, <laughs> you can just be in awe of so many different filmmakers um and uh you know you can often get pulled away from the art because this is a business and people want to sell um corporations want their movies to do well and they they feel like they need a big name to to do that and and then you get these small films where you're just like holy shit these are the most gripping i don't know there's room for everything because there's so much Mm -hmm creativity in the world but I really do get drawn to the smaller like that energy of the Chloe Zhao kind of film mm-hmm. kind of feels like it brings me back to that same authenticity that the 70s kind of put into their films so many great new voices new artists new directors I I, I just I'm overwhelmed with the creativity that's out there it's 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 inspiring and it's also like I want to do that I want well Yes, and that's what and that's what I wanted to ask you coming from that, which is do you feel like your way of capitalizing in this moment is by like do you feel like you are being presented with material perhaps as an actor that you're like I am seizing upon this moment in this sort of um amazing surge of creativity and and unique vision that is being allowed to flourish or do you feel like your most productive way in is creating for yourself in writing and producing like are you getting brought to you the things you want to see to be a part of this or do you're like I got to do it for my fucking self to get the parts that I want to see well the last the, the last two things I've written for myself to star and write and produce those things and they're mid development so it hasn't mm-hmm. happened yet they're not out there right. you know nothing is nothing is anything until it's actually out there so it's always very nothing, scary that's why I wanted to say congratulations now because we should congratulate and celebrate those little markers and milestones because even though it's not real till it's real I want you to know that I think that's great and important Thank, there's a comedian I think her name is Sarah Schaefer incredible she, so she's, <laughs> she's incredible. she did a three minute video talking about the three steps to getting a film made and every step of the way it's like step one come up with an idea to write step one a step one b step two z now that you've screened for a test audience and literally it goes on forever and i was crying laughing but also crying because it's so true it's like wait for the lawyer to call you back three months later um get a new president head of your studio have them give notes so that they can have Mm -hmm. input wait three more months (laughs) 
Give them a new outline. Get a new president. <laughs> get a new lawyer. It's just, it's it's so See dip- what Brent and Modesto thinks of your show. <laughs> yes. It's, to get anything made is such a long process. And of course, I never knew that because I was never the writer, producer. Of course. I was only the actress. And what a, what a gift and pleasure to just be the actor because <laughs> it's like done. It's ready to go. They're like, do you want to do this? Yes. Okay. Show up on set with your lines memorized. Yeah. You get there when it's happening. <laughs> yeah. So there's no stress other than, you know, wanting to do your best performance and, you know, work your hardest. There's really no stress on the actor's part of like, is this going to happen? Although, right. you, you know, then there's the other side. You get to star in a pilot. I mean, I can't tell you how many pilots I've starred in that didn't get made. I mean, we made Mm -hmm. the pilot, but they didn't get picked up. So you do all that work and you get the job and you do the pilot and then it's like, oh, this isn't going. Or you do it and then it goes and then it's like, oh, we only, you know, three episodes were canceled. You know, whatever it is. (laughs) The fact that anything gets made is shocking. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. Right now, God, I wish that, you know, somebody would be like, okay, I have the Norma Ray script for you. Here you go. Right. Mm-hmm. But it, no, I haven't gotten that yet. And I'm looking for it. Trust me. I just, I feel like I'm going to, I guess I'm going to have to write it. But I, I, I went say, to- So are you making your own, nor- no, you know, in Norma Ray in the existential <laughs> sense? Well, I wish I could, but I'm doing two other projects that literally okay. are all day long writing. And it's, it's so much work just to do anything. The fact that I'm working on two at the same time is almost too much for my plate with everything else (laughs) but I do want that I do want I do I am looking for that that one thing that's like Mm -hmm. that is so gritty and gripping and you know my favorite kind of roles are just like dirty and poor Mm -hmm. and I just I just I want that I haven't found it I'm I'm, maybe someone's like you know what I didn't even think about her she's she's so badass let's give this to her but you know hopefully someone's writing and hopefully I'll find it and if not I suppose I'll have to write it for myself but that's hard to do but I mean I suppose it's up to me I I did I went to school with um my best guy friend at college was Matt Damon and it was it we met the first day of freshman year and uh he was just starting acting. I remember I had done a movie with um, River Phoenix and that had just come out. And he was like, oh, yeah, I auditioned to, for that movie. I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure, kid. Like, like sure. <laughs> and then he becomes this huge star and so deservedly so. And was this actor. when you were, were you at Harvard at the time? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm 18. So this is 1988, freshman year. Mm-hmm. We meet. Yeah. He moved to Los Angeles and he was living on Melrose and I used to go over his house every day and he was writing Goodwill Hunting and I I just remember being there with him and Matt uh, him and Ben and they were just writing and and working so hard and I was like this is the this is the way you do it you write the mm-hmm. thing that you want to do and yeah. he did it and I was so proud of them and <laughs> um and I just kept thinking to myself you got to do it for yourself I mean, yeah. you look at all these people who who do that and they, I mean. Like listen, fucking Norma Ray. Like yeah. Norma Ray. Yeah. And I think that's what you have to do unless like, you know, you're Julia Roberts and people are just handing things to you. you I think you <laughs> yeah. kind of have to, if you're not on that number one, like this is the big star that's going to get the financing for this. If you're just an actor that people are like, oh, she's good. I like her. But no uh-huh. one's like going, I need you to do this to get this film made. You right. kind of have to do it for yourself. 
Um, unless, you know, someone's listening to this podcast and goes, fuck, I remember her. She's amazing. I want her in this. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm here to have a good time. I'm here to hope listeners have a good time. I'm also here to facilitate career moves. If that right. is in any way in the offing, Jordan, I would listen up, everybody. Like that after this, I'd be, I, you'd be thanked at the Oscars, I promise you. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Listen, if I could, if this podcast can land me in an Emmys speech, <laughs> I will say job well done. <laughs> I would say that's the goal. Now, that when did, I, I, I only have time for a couple more things to do, but I was wondering, when did you decide to start being like, you're developing for producing now. Like, when did you decide that, like, and was there a catalyzing thing that made you think, like, it's time for me to, like, develop my career in this direction? Like, obviously, you grew up with examples around you. You had Matt Damon and Ben Affleck writing their Academy Award-winning film, yeah. Goodwill Hunting. So when were you, like, all right, now's my time to go that direction? That was never my thought, okay. ever. Um, right. What happened was, about 10 years ago, I had come up with this idea for an animated show, which happens to be based on my life. It's it's oh, okay. it's funny. And my I have a best friend. His name's Matt Bourne. He's an amazing writer. And mm-hmm. the two of us were just like jokingly brainstorming and we wrote this whole thing and it's fabulous. It was just um, a creative endeavor that my friend and I were just being silly and together writing something. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really think to pursue it because I'm an actress and I don't really care. And mm-hmm. that was just fun to do. I mean, I write poetry all day long, but I don't like try to publish it. Right. Um, and then I got married to Patton, and uh, I don't know if your listeners know our love story, but Patton's wife had passed away, and uh, a year later, we ended up meeting over uh, a group text thread on Facebook, um, and we ended up texting each other for three months, every single night, falling madly in love, and um, he has a little girl who's eight years old, and... I met her and I fell in love with her and we got married very quickly because she lost her mother and you don't just date, you know, you make a decision like there's a little girl involved in this. Do you, you date each other or like he he was my soulmate. I finally found the man of my, you know, just my soulmate and she's my soulmate, honestly. (laughs) And uh, we have this beautiful love story and my best friend Matt who's also my writing partner was like this everybody on Twitter is losing their marbles over this love story I think we should make it this into a show and it was his idea and so we sat together and we wrote this show and I told my manager she set up a few meetings a few places wanted it and we pitched it and literally within a week within a week it got Mm -hmm. sold I didn't even have a lawyer I didn't even have, I wasn't even, I was like, wait, what? Like, this was just for fun. Like, this is just like an adventure into like being creative people just for no reason. Like, let's just write it. That could be fun. And it Mm -hmm. sold in three seconds. And then I said to Matt, I was like, oh my God, that sold so quickly. Should we revisit that animated show from like years ago that we both sat down and wrote together? Yeah. And he's like, sure, why not? And literally it sold the next day. (laughs) So there was no... Hollywood dream life, huh? Jordan, there was literally no (laughs) thought like, I'm going to start doing this thing. It wasn't a thought. Mm -hmm. It was sort of just, we were just doing what we thought was interesting and someone else thought so. And it just happened to be, I suppose, the right time. Mm -hmm. Like, I wasn't like, I'm going to write something for myself because I need a job. It wasn't that at all. It just was sort of like, let's just do this and see what happens. So, okay, then my final question to you would be, like, you know, if we take we take the sort of t- 
timeline. Like, you know, like I, I saw I saw Smoking the Bandit and I was like, I want to be an actress. Mm-hmm. And then you became an actress. Yes. And then you, you know, you go through this life. And I was listening to your, your interview with Jesse Thornton on, on Bullseye that you and Patton did. And you, you talked about, you know, being like, you're like, nobody loves kids more than me. And you like, yeah, you're like, keep the car seats in my car. Yep. I'm the fun aunt. Like, and then like, you know, having like, you know, the dating history behind you being like, I'm, am I ever going to fucking meet the guy? Like, right. I, I want to be a partner to somebody like I'm, I'm out there I'm, I'm mm-hmm. trying and then through this most surprising way and the most surprising time and sort of this extraordinary circumstance of the, the man who would become your husband coming together and and finding him and, and finding these soulmates in, in him and Alice and then kind of falling almost <laughs> ass backwards yeah. into this like next career like you said that lands in your yeah. lap with writing and producing and then you know the podcast comes in too. With all of those things sort of happening, leading up to this moment, sort of each one creating a new sort of window into the possible, like to see further and further, I wonder, after like this career and this time and this life. What does that convey? Like, is there a sort of sense of limitlessness? Like, shit, anything could happen at any time. Because look at all these things that came out of the woodwork, surprisingly. Um, like, what do you, versus when you started in this career, wanting to be an actress and get paid to pretend and make these stories real, like, what do you, you know, what do you have now with the benefit of perspective and time? And you're like, and now here's how I can harness all that and do X, Y, Z thing. I'm just curious when you have, when you can know you have so much in front of you because um, there's so many surprises that came along the there way. There really are. And uh, I mean, it makes me kind of want to cry a little bit. Just be- <laughs> and, I, and I'm serious. I mean, like, I'm just thinking about it. Ah, it is a lot. Listen, I enjoy crying with people on this show, so you feel free to go <laughs> for it. It's a lot and it's a lot of change. And um, during that time, also, it all, you know, the past four years have been so um, challenging politically with, you know, and and that took a lot of my time. Mm-hmm. Um, I was so upset about how things were going in the world and like really became all during that creative time also just became very politically active, mm-hmm. um, did everything in my power I could to spread the word and fundraise to help Mm -hmm. women get elected to office so that we could you know to address gun violence and homelessness and just all the there's so many things on your plate so there's this underlying anxiety of all the things in the world that need to be fixed that sort of need energy put on them Mm -hmm. and so while those great things were going on for me i also was like tirelessly and Patton was as well, just working our asses off. Yeah, um, it's a sort of epic backdrop to the to the just daily goings on of anybody's life that they also have to live at the same time. Right. And so, while all that stuff was going on work wise and in the entertainment industry, what really took most of my time was doing stuff for voting rights, really, and mm-hmm. to help get the word out about voting rights and to. It's just it's that that's what's sort of taken most of my time and mm-hmm. what I'm really focused on because I really think like our democracy is at stake and yes and it scares me and um so even while all that good stuff was happening and I was so thrilled those things were happening and it was really inspiring creatively at the mm-hmm. same time I was like just so full of anxiety and just wanting to make the world a better place and trying to get people on board and hopefully shift the perspective of people who unfortunately are brainwashed you know by a lot of misinformation and lies that they've been told and it's sort of very hard to get to people and instead of saying to those people you're idiots i want to be able to be like don't you want better funding for your schools don't you want a better infrastructure Mm -hmm. don't you want better pay don't Mm -hmm. all of you want the same things we want 
Um, that kind of thing has really been on the forefront of my mind. And so when you say are the possibilities endless and what will come your way, I think, yes, uh, mm-hmm. I'm operating, I think, from a place now of, um, well, those two successes happened for me as a writer-producer kind of thing, and I'd never had that before, so I feel a, a, a deeper sense of confidence in mm-hmm. being um, the boss versus just being the hired mm-hmm. help, and that's a different mm-hmm. feeling, and sort of that kind of gave me confidence to reach out to people politically. You know, it's hard enough when you're just an actress. People are like, you're just an actress, stick to acting. Sure. It's nice that I was able to go to Harvard so that people aren't just like, you're a dumb actress. You actually right. might have a brain and something to say. I, I really hate when people are like telling actors and people in this business to sit down and be quiet. Everybody has yeah. a right to talk about how they want this world to be a better place. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, I think there is, a, I do feel like there's a, a a bigger stability and confidence that I'm operating from than I used to. Um, But I do believe the possibilities are endless. I mean, you know, it it can happen. Who knows if it will? But, you know, you look at somebody (laughs) with the most incredible work ethic, like my friend Amir uh, Questlove, who just won the Grammy and he just won the Oscar for his documentary Summer of Soul. This is a a tremendous speech in the heat of a very contentious moment. Absolutely. Everybody should go listen to Questlove's speech. (laughs) Like you see someone like that and you hope. And for me, he is an inspiration to Mm -hmm. me, but just because he's a good person and he tries so hard and he has such a great work ethic and he's so lovely. And uh, I think the possibilities are endless if you are the kind of person who is going to just be grateful and appreciative of life and really try to be the best for other people too. To make the world better for other people, mm-hmm. um, I, I think ultimately that will make it better for you. Hello, Norma. Mr. Mason, you know who I am, means. Norma, put the pencil Love. and paper away. Love. You stop Love. what you're doing right now. Love. You're gonna leave. Hey. Office. The Lord's going to come after Love. you and take you right Love. out of this plant. Job. Mr. Mason, I started this, and I'm going to finish it. With the, with the thesis question of the, the podcast and talking about, like, the characters that make us feel represented on screen and, and you know, with that sense of, like, duty and hopefulness that you, it seems like you bring to creation and, and, and the elements of your life, I wonder then what role in that balancing of... Um, that balancing of like the difficulty and the challenge and of the joy that we need to get through it all. Like, what is the role of, you know, it's stories. It, it can feel like a distraction or a diversion, but also these things communicate the human experience to us. Film, television, stories, characters, they communicate other people's experiences and empathy to us that we might not necessarily be able to easily access. And so I wonder, where does the sort of communication of, of joy like how does how is how does the art work? How does it fit into that? And like, what do how do you want it to fit into that for what you for what you do and put out there? Oh my goodness, I have no idea. I I just okay. want I want people. fair answer. Big question. I don't know. It's a big question. I I want to put out something that might change someone's perspective on how to handle certain situations. My whole goal in life is to help people get a different perspective on something that might be troubling to them, mm-hmm. to shift someone's perspective. This isn't about us us versus them, them versus us. This is like, let's try to make the world actually the best it can be, and how can we accomplish mm-hmm. that? And I, I feel like it's, it's such a huge detriment. We've lost the goal of c- 
community and working together to make everyone's life better. And it's so stupid to say, oh, my animated stupid show is going to maybe help people or my little comedy about, you know, marrying someone with a child. And But I do hope that the joy and the laughter from that um, and, and then the topics that you discuss are the things that will make someone just go, oh, that's an interesting way to look at it. it I, I just hope that things give people other perspectives that they can just go, okay, I see myself in her and I also see that perspective. Listen, you saw Sally Field jump in Burt Reynolds' car as a runaway bride and you were like, I want to be an actress. Yep. And then here we are today. It, and that's so exactly no, the truth. There is no telling. There's no telling what the thing you make uh does in somebody who watches it and maybe has leads them to a certain decision or thing they figured out or point of identification that they didn't see coming but suddenly it's a big deal a hundred percent that's the goal i think that's the goal well meredith thank you again so much for going on this long journey with me today thank I you really appreciate you have it. such insightful things to say and i am not forgetting the cloaked ferocity that i that i now will that will be my definition <laughs> of who i am i love it <laughs> Thank you again to Meredith Salinger for a wonderful candid conversation. I I love getting to talk to people on the show, guys. It's really great. Um, if you want to hear lots more of Meredith, you can tune into, did you get my text? Uh, the podcast she obviously has with her husband, Patton Oswalt. Uh, and you can find that wherever you get your podcast. Uh, and that episode of Maximum Fun's own Bullseye with Jesse Thorne that I mentioned uh, aired in July of last year. So seek that out, too. And now I have got that one quick thing before I go. You heard earlier, you heard Back to the Beach and you were like, what in the hell is the reason for discussing the film Back to the Beach starring Frankie Avalon and Nanette Funicello. What are we doing with this 1987 piece of pop culture ephemera that is essentially, at its time, a reboot of the Frankie Avalon, Annette Funicello um, teen beach romp movies? Like, classics in the way that, you know, I'm not saying, like, Beach blanket bingo is it's is a classic that transcends, but I I am saying it is a it is a classic sort of motif of its era, and Frankie Avalon and Annette Funicello were this sort of darling um, couple on screen. Um, she was a pineapple princess, guys. Like I I don't know what else to fucking tell you. I don't know what else I need to tell you for you to care, uh, <laughs> because that should be enough. But in Back to the Beach, uh, Frankie has become a dull boring, grumpy, used car salesman, and they live in Ohio. And Annette is the perfectly lovely and perfectly wonderful housewife. Um, and they have a disaffected teenage son. And their beautiful young daughter, played by Lori Laughlin, is off in their old stomping grounds of Southern California, Venice Beach, uh, living that suntan lifestyle. And on the occasion of Frankie and Annette and their son going to visit young daughter Lori Laughlin, I think it's that when they get out there to visit her, they learn she's engaged to a total beach bum, which obviously sends Frankie 
into a self-hating spiral because he's drifted so far astray from this life that he loved and he's bitter and resentful and he thinks his daughter is making wrong life choices. But in reality, he's just like regretting his own life choices. Um, And I bring all of this up because Paramount Presents is putting Back to the Beach out on Blu-ray. It's coming out in August. You can pre-order now. There are, I think, various sites. I know Diabolic DVD is is taking pre-orders for it. But this was such like this was such a heavily spun movie of my childhood. Um, Paul Rubens is like Pee Wee Herman is fully in this. Not like Paul. I'm not calling Paul Rubens Pee Wee Herman. The character of Pee Wee Herman is in this. So is the character of Gilligan. Like Bob Denver is in this just playing Gilligan with it being like a running bit that he is back on land now, having come back from a three, that infamous three-hour tour that put him on the island for so long. And I I don't know, I guess it's a common studio ownership thing that is making this, like, Ready Player One, I don't know, maybe Paramount melange of characters in Back to the Beach. Um, but it is, it's musical, because obviously it is, because it's Frankie and Annette movie. It is the story of, you know, I believe at the beginning of the movie, Frankie's character says, you can never go home again. Well, here it is. It's Frankie and Annette coming home again, coming back to the beach, where, of course, Frankie will fully, I'm going to spoil it, guys, get back in touch with his roots by having to compete in a surfing competition at Venice Beach. The big kahuna rides again. The end of this movie features a song that is such a little bop. Every time I hear it, it makes me happy. It is Huey Lewis and the News style, uh, doo-wop ditty, with everybody in the cast up on the stage and down in the audience at this fun tiki bar singing together. It makes me nostalgic. It makes me sad happy. Um, And I personally cannot wait to own, finally, a Blu-ray update of Back to the Beach. And that is the joyful note that I will send you out on. Um, We are beach blanket bingoing once again uh, with Frankie and America's sweetheart and forever sweetheart in Funicello. We did it, guys. That's the show. Uh, And you can follow us on Twitter at FeelingScenePod or you can send us an email at FeelingScene at MaximumFun.org. If you want to follow me, I am Crew on Twitter. Our theme music is by Andrew Epen. The show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher. And this is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.